pleased to have you on board for episode 13 of On The Rocks. I'm your host, Joe Warren. Today I sit down with Lane Odom, talent scout for the NBA's Utah Jazz. Lane has had a tremendous basketball coaching career with nine NCAA tournament appearances, one SEC championship, and one Conference USA championship with various college teams. He now scouts talent for the Utah Jazz and provides university matching services for parents looking to place their athletic kids in college. Hear about the world of college and pro sports and about growing up in the shadow of a basketball coaching legend. Enjoy. So for my listeners that are not athletes, which maybe one or two of you, they're probably all athletes, but um, tell everybody a little bit about your background. I, I did a little research on you. You have an impressive NCAA record and been in a lot of a lot of events. So, but not everybody we we, we that hears us knows sports. So. Yeah. So my my background is uh, I grew up as a coach's son. Uh, my dad, uh, when I was very young, was a high school coach, and then he got a job at Wake Forest, and that's how I got into college coaching, but the first thing I remember really is being in a gym and the ball bouncing. It's the first thing I ever heard. You know, just and your father is? Dave Odom, Dave. Uh, who coached at Wake Forest. Before that, UVA as an assistant. Um, and yeah, I had great teams at Wake Forest. Coach Tim Duncan and Rodney Rogers, who went on to play in the pros. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> so that's kind of how I got into, into coaching and, uh, you know, um, it, it was really just a lifestyle for our family. I mean, that's that's really all we did. What what was um, was it? There was a pressure on you as a kid to be an athlete, or did you feel like I just want to be around my dad and I'm I'm going to play? Or did you love basketball? Or what was was it? You a know, little... the pressure came. There was really no pressure, but the part about loving it, it was like, and, and it's been interesting in my life because I've branched out later in life uh, because that's really all I knew and. I didn't know this, but what was happening to me was that was becoming my validation uh, was to be a college basketball player. You know, that's all I did. I mean, I went up to the courts. I played on the outdoor courts, pick up ball. You know, I'd go to every camp. Uh, I was at dad's practice. I had my own practices and teams, and just it was round-the-clock basketball. Yeah, you know? and this is – you started when – this got serious when you probably – 12, 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I would be the best player in camp when I was in, when I was eight, nine years old, 12 years old. But then as I got older, people grew. They yeah. got more athletic. I'm 5'10". I'm not 6'3", you know, and I'm not that quick. Pretty, I've got good hand eye and I'm skilled and I've played a lot. But, you know, at some point, the speed and the athleticism kind of, you know, Dictate. Yeah, what was that? I remember I played a ton of basketball when I was a kid. I, I lived in Kentucky. I loved it. I mean, that's all I did, really, forever. Um, and, uh, you know, it was uh, it, it, just because of the sport, I had a lot of African-American friends. I remember looking at some model pictures from my birthdays, and it was me and all my guys in the basketball team, which is a bunch of African-American buddies of mine. You know, it was, yeah. like, it was great, um, but that's all I did, and I loved it, and I was deep into it, and then I was 5'10", and, and could touch the rim maybe uh and i was like this i'm probably not getting very far with this like when when did yeah. that moment happen for well, you see when i got to college yeah i went to high point university and um you know i had a chance to play basketball and it, it 
it was just, I mean, the guys were just faster, bigger, and more stronger than they were. <laughs> and I could, I could play with them, but I wasn't, you know, uh, I, was, I was the backup and didn't really have a great college playing career. Um, but I enjoyed basketball all through. I'm glad I did it. Um, you know, but yeah, maybe I could have played tennis or, uh, or golf or done yeah. something else. You know, thinking back on it, I'm like, maybe I wasn't built for that. But, I, you know, I had, a, had so many great moments doing it and I, I still love being involved with it uh, to this day but so yeah, yeah I didn't think about it that way when I was uh, and dad really didn't put any pressure on me he just gave me the opportunity to play always invited me into practices and took me to five-star camps big camp up in, in the northeast for all the great players for Michael Jordan and all these guys you know Pat Ewing um, so I was at the camp with those guys um, in the summers, and uh, he ran the camp, and so I was around Rick Patino and John Calipari. Yeah. They were all working the camp, and my dad was working the camp, and I was one of the campers, you know, so I really, uh, I was in basketball. It didn't feel like royalty because you're out on a hot outdoor surface in the middle of the summer playing basketball, but it was really the cream of the crop, or, you know, in there, but I wasn't. Wasn't as good as those guys. But was his? Was yeah. your father's not? What you know? You mentioned the names Patino and Calipari, Calipari, and uh, obviously your father had a great success at Wake Forest. Like, what is the difference on the coaching level versus the playing level? Like, how do you know who a really good coach is? I say that a lot because we talked the other day about the College of Charleston, one of my favorite. You know, I went to school there, just a cool place to watch a game. It's a small, and we had a very good coach, John Crest, back in my day, and we've been through probably 18 coaches since 2000. So, you know, how do you, how does your father or Calipari or Rick, I mean, how do they differentiate themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I would say this, as you, you, you're involved in so many different uh, aspects of business as you're dealing with your clients, and you're dealing with, and you're watching trends and all that right. stuff, and you're watching businesses. I mean, leadership is, they're all different styles. You know, and so they all have a unique way of doing it. Uh, but the one thing I would say is those guys just have the ones that reach it to that that reach that elite level, um, like a Coach K, Dean Smith, you know, Rick Patino. My dad hit hit big levels. He didn't hit the levels maybe that he was up there. I mean, he was way up there, and uh, he got he won National Coach of the Year. He won, I think it was two or three. He won back to back ACC titles. You know, he got beat. Shashevsky nine straight at one point when they were Duke and Wake were playing, and then Shashevsky beat him like thirteen straight. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, he had major success. But the one thing I always noticed about him, he's a great decision maker. Uh, he wasn't afraid to uh, let let his staff and his players know what his expectations were, and when little things would arise, he would address them all the yeah. time. But he would do it the right way. You know, he he wasn't. Um, you know, drilling down on, on people all the time, but but he let people know that that's whoop, that's not it. You know, I just thought he was very good. He would he would he wasn't afraid to call people out. Yeah, you know, but he also had a way of doing it that wasn't so. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't necessarily embarrass them or, or humiliate them in any way. Just uh, but he he was always very detailed and he knew exactly um, what his principles were and what. What he wanted the program to be about so i think all those guys have that yeah you know they have their tenants or whatever you want to call them 
and they they hold those things and they have a way of dealing with people you know like uh patino has a way of driving driving people like hard he drives them hard you know like he's coming coming at you <laughs> yeah I mean, like you know i remember he was coaching me at five star one time and i was in, a, in one of his stations and he, he he said lane what's the quickest way from where you are with the ball to the basket and i looked at him and his his intensity was like and i was a young kid you know and his intensity was coming out you know he wanted me to answer it and i didn't and, and the answer is a straight line yeah you know and what he was trying to say is if i'm defending you you know you don't you want to go right at me you know you want to come right through sure and i just froze i was like yeah I can feel his intensity, <laughs> you know? like that's what they have you know and, yeah uh, it, that was actually an easy question i should have gotten it right off the bat but anyway that was just a moment that i remember you know and then um these guys are all uh they're all so committed to i mean yeah very very committed uh to to what they do and, and you see that it's funny i've had well this will be our 13th edition and i've had uh executives and athletes and psychologists and musicians and all, all of them are you know so focused in on whatever their interest or profession or concept or business is um but we always talk about how do you take this immense amount of focus and then leave it at five thirty or 6 or 7 or whatever your day's at to go manage the rest of your life and i think you know, what I've learned over many, many editions of this is we all struggle. Like, everybody's, you know, if you're doing great here, you're probably not doing as well over there. And how do you manage those things? Yeah, no, that's, that's a huge, and that's one thing that, um, you know, my dad and I have even talked about this. You know, it's, uh, he was working so hard to build his career. And that was for us, too. Yeah, you know, of course. It wasn't just for yeah. him, but... It was a lifestyle. Like when he came home, that phone was ringing. And I remember when I started coaching in college, I was getting calls at night, you know, from an AAU coach that I was recruiting his player or, you know, somebody's calling me from the industry that I need to take it. And, and this was about the time that cell phones became, I mean, cell phones were in, but I mean, they weren't, you know, learning how to manage that was something else because now people could call you you know they were getting you everywhere time, uh, yeah. wherever you are at any time like yeah but our my phone would ring on easter sunday it would ring on and people these guys weren't thinking about the holiday they were thinking about the player i was trying to recruit calling me and you've got to really manage that and i know in every industry it's that way you can you can always take the call you know yeah. the call's always coming in when you reach that level uh, but yeah, the, the, these guys are—it's um, a lifestyle. They don't have—they don't take vacations the way, you know, maybe In, um, yeah, more people. standard, I guess, jobs or, or um, what do you want to call it? Um, more typical nine to five jobs. Yeah. Nine to five jobs. Yeah. Um, you know, we we. We would squeeze in a vacation. We didn't plan it. We would just say, "Okay, we got four days. Let's go. We're gone. You know, we're going to the beach. For, for, we just go to the beach somewhere. You figure it out. You know." But um, and yet, so we you're didn't plan out because there was always a camp. There was always recruiting. There was always co- you know, there's always something going on with that. And it's weekends. It's not just uh, nine to five. So you you go to High Point. You play. You stay there four years. I played there. Yeah. How was that? teams what like where so was what happened there was i wasn't you know I, I played for two years 
and then I stopped playing. And the only reason was um, we, we were, it was an NAIA program at the time. And, um, you know, NAI, looking back on it, and this is my other business that we'll probably talk about later, kind of led me to that, was I really probably should have gone to a different type of program, looking back on it. You know, that was more suited for my level of athleticism, um, that kind of thing, uh, because we were taking, High Point was taking transfers from Division One schools. Yeah. Let's say a guy gets in trouble. Uh, he's, I don't know, smoking weed or, or whatever, gets, bad, yeah, grades, whatever or, yeah. bad grades, or, or he's just not getting to play enough maybe, so he wants to transfer down a level, then that's the kind of place that they would transfer to, and all of a sudden you're, you're just getting recruited over all the time. Yeah. These are Division One level athletes that are coming in. So the, Explain to the world that doesn't know college sports, like the, the variation between a D1 and a D2 player. I mean, it's... It's, is it like college to high school? I mean, it's a big difference, right? Um, I'd say Division One to Division Three is a bigger difference. So Division Three is going to be your higher academic, yeah, um, more high, you know, quote unquote brand schools, right? You know? um, D two is going to be much more <clears throat> liberal with admissions. You know, they're easier to get into. It doesn't mean they're not great schools, but they're just they're easier to get into. Um, and then Division One, yeah, there's a very clear line um, because they get 13 scholarships, and there are a lot of kids that are kind of on that that bubble or right on that that line of being Division One, Division Two. And I always tell people if you've gotten this far into your senior year and you're not, if you haven't been offered, you know, you're you're probably going to be a D2 or D3 player. So there's, is there a limited number of scholarships in each university? 13, yeah. Is that for male and female? That's not a show. Because of Title IX, they gave, they gave uh, women 15. Okay. That's to try to even out the total number. Men have 13. Division two, they might have seven full scholarships, but they're allowed to divvy them up. The, The 13 basketball scholarships. Right. Okay. But over the athletic basketball. department, Sorry, that, that's the last, is there a, a limit per athletic department? I, I don't know what that is, but yeah, yeah. There, there's, yeah, but they're, they're trying to, you know, if they don't have football, it's easier to balance it out. Right. Football is what throws it out of whack Yeah. at the bigger schools. That's why they cut, that's why they're adding like women's, more women's sports and cutting men's sports to try to even it out. Yeah. But anyway, so division two, you can have, uh, you know, Seven, they'll have seven full scholarships, but they're allowed to divvy them out. You get half, I get half, yeah. or I get a quarter, you get a quarter, and then maybe academically I can get some from the school. You know, so you kind of piece it together. Division one is very cut and dry. It's full ride. They get you housing, books, you know, yeah. everything, uh, food. and. Uh, so you finish up at High Point, and where do you go after that? So then I got into coaching. I went to uh, uh, University of Alabama. So there five years really lucky. I was a graduate assistant. My dad was, you know, my dad's relationship is the reason that I got that job. His uh, really good friend, Wimp Sanderson, was the coach and was a great coach. Um, really snarly, uh, you know, uh, bad mood guy. Just, <laughs> you know, um, 
every day. He was just miserable. Uh, but a great guy and a great coach. And uh, we had great players. Robert Ory, who's yeah. seven-time world champion, probably be a Hall of Famer, played for us. Um, you know, Antonio McDice won a world championship in Detroit. He was with us. Um, you know, we had other great players. Um, so really, really good time to come through there and get my career started and yep. see the level. And I'm coaching, or I'm out on the floor coaching pros, you know, guys yeah. that are going to go on and play in the NBA. As an assistant coach, what's your role in relationship to with the so, team? So, yeah, the, the, the big thing in college is recruiting. Okay. I mean, that's a really big part of it. And then you're doing a lot of hand-holding, a lot of development work with the kids. Um, you know, it's very hands-on. When you get to the pros, you got some of that, but, it, you know, it's different because these guys are pros. Yeah. They're making a lot of money, and they have to handle their life on their own. Um, but when they're in college, I mean, they're in the dorms, you're going by and checking on them. And, you know, it's really around the clock. I mean, you don't want the phone ringing at 3 in the morning. And so from a fundamental coaching the perspective. Department saying, Coach, we've got your player here. You know, yeah. so you're really fighting that all the time, making sure they're, you know, not, not in the bar so much and, um, you know, understand what the trappings are. So as a... a, a from a, from a coaching perspective, the, the actual coaching and the practice and how it's run, that's probably a head coach job and the assistants are more to manage the, the players. Yeah, we manage the players and we'll have roles in practice, like, you know, different different pieces. Uh, the head coach will say, Lane, how about you run this drill? Right. You know, Joe, you run this drill. Um, what do you guys think? And he'll usually, he'll usually, we'll have a meeting each day and try to put together a practice plan and make sure we make it as concise as we can. We only have so much time. And in their bodies, you want to make sure we're not overdoing it. And I think in the past, you know, when I was just getting into the business, it was, I mean, our practices would be long. And one thing I'll say is the really good coaches will narrow, they'll, they'll really wind that down as, you, as the season starts to go. They'll shorten it because you know all the plays. Right. You've already got it in your head now. You've done, you got the you know, the memory, you've already done it so many times now. So down the stretch, the worst thing you can do is over-practice, you know, wear the players down mentally and physically. So the really good ones, they tighten it up as you're going down the stretch, and they just trust that the players know what to do. When did you, and you moved to some head coaching positions? I never, I never was a head coach. I went to, um, so I went from Alabama, I was there five years, East Carolina's assistant, uh, UNC Charlotte, assistant for two years and then I went with Quinn Snyder in Missouri for six and we had great teams really I mean I think I was I coached in 10 or 11 NCAA tournaments and then three NITs so I was fortunate to be with really good programs yeah you know, and really good head coaches and, um, and then I ended up leaving Missouri and got into Got into the pros after that. Yeah, as a scout. And now you're still at the Utah Jazz, right? Right. And so recruiting has always been part of your basically your life, which scouting is obviously recruiting. Yeah, scouting is different. The difference is in recruiting. When I would go for, let's say Missouri, and going to an event where the players are, if Roy Williams walked into the gym, and I thought he might be, you know, you're always watching the crowd to see who's walking in 
because that's going to be your competition. Right. Because it's recruiting. You're, you're having to get this family to believe in you and this kid to believe in you to come to your school, you know. Whereas in the pros, it's, a, it's all evaluation. It's just, I don't care who else is in the gym. I'm just watching you and I'm taking notes. So it's really pure. The evaluation part's really pure because you're not distracted. Mm. You know, there's no competition between the Washington Wizards and Jazz. It depends on where our draft pick is. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just a, it's, it's a draft slot. So I don't, it doesn't matter if the kid or the family want to be in Utah. If we pick them, they're coming to Utah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not, there's no uh, recruiting. So it, it, what it taught me was when I was coaching, sometimes you can spend so much time in the competition of recruiting. It's like, you know, a sales deal or whatever. Right. And spending so much time thinking about what other people are doing and, and really the evaluation and the selection, where you spend your time can be so meaningful and productive if you really put a lot of that out of your mind and focus in and get the right guys, not just the ones that are most heavily pursued. Yeah. You know what I mean? Find the right guys. And I think I give a good example of that is like uh, Tony Bennett at Virginia. I think does a great job of that. Like he doesn't get caught up in where guys are ranked, what other schools are recruiting them. Even if they're not high profile schools recruiting a player, he might still take them. You know, he'll say, I can work this guy into my system and he can be productive with the way we play. And I still think we can, you know, and I don't have to, you know, tell him things that aren't true. And, yeah. you know, if he's looking for, you know, Majority of the players that come from college to the, the pros, they don't get right onto a team, though, right? I mean, there's other, like, I don't know enough about the minor leagues of NBA basketball, but there's teams below the Utah Jazz level that many players go to, right, for development? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's uh, the G League, which is our minor league system. Which okay. Because that doesn't get much attention at all, not no, like the minors just, of baseball. Really, you know, so it's for guys that are trying to break in obviously um, but we'll have what they do allow you to do is is have what they call a two-way contract for a couple of guys so these were guys that would be drafted late first round maybe early second mid second and they, they spend part of the time with the minor league team and part of the time with the big team but it probably means that they're not going to play much with the big team if at all you know but they're but they get they get to be around the big team and practice with the big team and maybe get some mop up minutes and that sort of thing. Yeah. But they get their playing time experience now with the, the G League team and the other guys on that team are probably you know may not make it in the NBA. They may play a few years, figure out they're not going to make it and go to Europe and play over there, and make some money, um, and still do well. But what's the that's what the minor league system system is like. The pay in Europe versus the U.S., is it a tenth of the pay? What, what's the money look like? Um, well, the money here is way huge, yeah, I guess. Huge. But, I mean, can uh, you... but it just all depends on the tier. You know? So if you're a top player over there, but if you're, you, you can make more over there if you're, a top, if you're in the top uh, league. If you're in the top league and you're, and you're a minimum contract player here, you can make less than you would make over there. So it's just kind of a sliding, you know, it depends on where you fit. Yeah. Uh, but there's some guys that just want to be over here and they've only got a minimum deal. Um, 
but they still do well. But they but they're but they can make more over there if they went over. What do you what did you uh, in all your years of seeing people be successful in pro sports in in basketball specifically? What was it physical capability that was kind of the most dominant factor, and then I guess probably attitude after that? I'm I'm just guessing. Yeah, the first thing we look at when I'm when we're evaluating is physical. That's the first thing. And that is, you know, even, you can even take it down to grade school or whatever, but if you look at someone's shoulders, look at how they're built, you know, look at their parents, you know. Um, you know, the length of their arms is really important in basketball. If you have short arms, it's not a great thing. <laughs> really, I mean, like, even even, even uh, neutral uh, yeah. length or, or average length is not, you know, you want to have extra length. That's one of the first things we look at is that shoulders can they how much weight these guys are going to be men uh, it, it, the ones that go to the pros but their shoulders tell you a lot like how much weight can he hold yeah you know? um, and then size so size for position so the NBA is big you know so the guards can be six 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 eight I mean they're they're big so you know, does he have good size for position? That's the first thing that we look at. Yeah. And I, I would say, at least for me, and that's really what I hear too when I'm on the scouting calls and reading about them. Um, and then you get into skill, age. I think IQ is really a hot, really a, a really important factor. Basketball IQ or attribute. Like basketball IQ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the two are different. Yeah. If he, he may not make any grades in, in school but he might have a really high IQ. Yeah. Like even I was talking to Joe Gibbs about this uh, one time. He was talking about one of his quarterbacks, Mark Rippin. He said, Lane, if I slung a joke at him, you know, he he'd never get it, you know, he'd never get the joke, he said, and he threw this ball that was you know, I could bring him out in the preseason and his ball was, you know, the duck the other end over and and then I'd bring out this other quarterback that was zipping balls, you know. But when we got in the game he said the guy was unbelievable. He made the best decisions. He always had the ball right on the money. You know, he just had a high IQ. And it's not that the guy's not smart. He didn't mean that. He just meant I, he was like, he was a savant. Really, yeah. is a better way to put it. He was he was a savant when he got on the floor. You know, he got on the field. It doesn't mean he's not smart. Of course, no. He, just you know, you have yeah, specialties you know in your yeah. area. Yeah. And uh, he said he was just like a savant on the field. Like he just always had it there. It's like God, I never thought he was going to get it there, and bam, the ball was right there. You know. And so, uh, so that happens a lot. There are kids that are, um, you know, scholars that that I've coached before can't remember a play when they're out there. You know, because they're. They, they had a 4-0 coming out, ace the test and all that stuff. And get them out there, they can't remember the play, or, or they're always going to the wrong spot. And it's just maybe they're freezing up. Maybe they don't, you know, yeah. it's not literal enough for them or something. I don't know. And then you've got some guys that are just, bam, you show it to them one time and they've got it. And they're not the guy that, you know, maybe had the best grades coming out or whatever. So it's, it's interesting how that how that that can be but but basketball IQ yeah is a big is a big one because there's so many schemes in the NBA it's very it's much more sophisticated than the than the normal person watching the notes I mean they're they're really moving pieces around the board out there and it's got you got to recognize them quickly you know like pick and roll when you're yeah. already pick and roll they're 
there, there are a lot of different things that can happen there. And so uh, the schemes are really important and you gotta be able to recognize them and then get there if you can be a step behind or it's over because these guys are so good. Yeah. So, so in college now, a lot's changed this summer with this new rule that allows college athletes to, you know, monetize their image. Um, I believe that happened. I mean, that's now in existence, right? That's approved by the NCAA. Yeah, yeah. They're signing contracts now. And so how does that, what's going to, how's the landscape going to change? I mean, that's a pretty monumental change for the college level athlete. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, one thing I can't quite figure out is football, they have to stay three years. And so they're going to be, these guys are going to be signing massive contracts. A lot, yeah. And my thing is, and I don't know why they have to stay. I'm sure there's a reason. Probably because just they need a little more development. I, I guess. Physically, right? I but mean, I mean, the basketball thing too, these guys are going right out after one year. And then if we just put them in the, there's no minor league system in football. Maybe that's it. You know? Well, maybe maybe that other aspect is if they start to have a little return on their during their college career, they might stick around already. Yeah, that'd be too. great. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Um, what's interesting now is, um, well, I think, it, first of all, I think it's going to, I don't know that it's very dynamic, so I don't know how it's going to, uh, how it's going to go. You know, I do think it's happening quicker than I thought it was going to happen, really, because, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, and this was a big topic, I was like, look, it's at some point it's going to be, what are you worth? Just like free enterprise, right? Sure. Free market. What are you worth? And that's going to be the next thing. Is it, you know, do we pay all the athletes or do we just, you know, I mean, inside the school. Now, you can go outside and get your endorsements, but inside the school, how do they divvy out that money, you know? So are agents allowed to talk to college athletes now in, in relationship to their own personal image? I don't I don't think they're allowed to sign with an agent yet. I don't know. Uh, I don't know either. I've been moving so fast. I know that they're signing, but you know the agents are involved. I mean, they gotta, I mean you're not going to have a freshman in, in college be able to go negotiate a contract for his oh, jersey yeah, with you know, Adidas. Yeah, there's there's got to be some. Oh, yeah, they're agents in the middle. There's no doubt. Yeah. And, they, and they were already... That was already happening, but now it's, yeah. I mean, they're just, that, that's going to be. Are you in favor of the concept of, uh, you know, those athletes getting, you know, some you know, remuneration for their image? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's ridiculous that, um, you know, like a Zion Williams, he, Williamson couldn't, he could sign an autograph or, or, or his jersey's being sold with his name on it and he doesn't get anything. Or he can't sell his own autograph. Right. I mean, that just makes no sense at all. Well, it touches on it, and I think I'm, I'm thinking this out loud now, if you can get some revenue on that. I mean, I watched that 30 for 30 um, edition with uh, Calipari about talking about the one and done. I don't know if you saw that, 30, 30 for 30, but, it, you know, he, whether he deserves the credit or not, he kind of, they basically credit him for the one and done system, which he believes in and advocates and says oh, a lot of these kids that I work with they have nothing you know and who says they're not going to get hurt their freshman year their sophomore year and never play again like I get them out in one year and they go make 20 million dollars as a 20 year old good for them yeah you know? he was the pioneer really I mean for that and everybody kind of jumped on that 
But this new... They, they jumped on it later. So he, here's what happened with him, and, and really I give him credit for this. Um, he went and coached with the New Jersey Nets and ended up leaving there. And he took the Memphis job. Yeah, I remember and he that. he realized all the kids, I can't recruit with Duke and Kentucky and these people. I can't beat them in a recruiting battle right now. But the one thing I have that Coach K doesn't have and that some of these other coaches don't have, they haven't coached in the pros. And so he said, look, I can get you to the pros. I, I just coached in the pros. I know how to do it. And then he had the foresight also to see where it was going to go down the road, you know. Um, but he was the pioneer for it. And um, No, that's common. That's the common practice. But under this new... You know, in this new program where you can get paid as an athlete for your own image, I don't know if you're going to be so, you know, so motivated to leave after year one. Yeah, I know. I mean, I don't know. It depends how much money you make, I guess. It'll, but. it'll be interesting to see. It'll kind of, I guess it'll be depending on what you're able to get. Yeah, what you're able to get at the university, through the university, and the, and the, and the boosters and the business owners, and then what you would make if you went pro. And so you got to. I just wonder if the college is the, is involved in managing the student's image. Like, who is the oversight of that image? And that's what I don't know about. Yeah, I think what they're doing is, what I've heard is there, a lot of schools are going out and hiring people to, you know, to help the students manage it and to kind of get it set up. So it'll almost be a way of recruiting student athletes. You know, another way to try to get them to come there is, you know, look, we've got this program in place. You know, we're going to help you manage it. You know, um, here are the people that that we might be able to introduce you to. I would think that's what the way that, that it'll go. So you've said to me that college is a not a four-year decision. It's a 40-year decision. Elaborate. Yeah, so uh, that's where I think it gets tricky if you're an athlete, especially. What, what I mean by that is... If you're, if you're picking a college, you're also picking a network of people. Um, and all schools have a good network. Some are stronger than others, you know. Some in various areas. Bigger and yeah. stronger. And, um, you know, that's where Coach Calipari came out and had a problem with Coach K when he told a recruit, I read this, I had a little, little back and forth, um, he said, "Look, why would you why would you pick Kentucky when you could have the Duke network?" And Coach K took exception. I mean, Coach Calipari took exception to that, saying, "I'm not promising my guys, you know, some job after college with our network." And but really, Coach K was making a point. He's saying, "Look, our, our network is really strong." Now, the Kentucky people may not agree, agree with that, with that <laughs> which is totally yeah. But that's what he was trying to say to the recruit, right? Um, but I do think for all the schools, you've got to, if you're going to pick a college, it is going to be with you for the rest of your life. And a lot of these athletes, um, you know, the ones that are, that want to play in the NBA or think they have a chance, they really are a part of this network. If they pick a school that, I mean, if you have a choice, you know, the one, you can pick the one with the, with the nice uniforms, or you can pick the one with the big network. You know, you might want to go with the one with the big network um, and the people that are that are doing things that are special. You know? Yeah, 
Um, so I just think you have a great opportunity, and that's something that needs to be factored in. It doesn't mean that you have to go to you know, Harvard or Duke or one of these places that has the big brand. Um, but just thinking about the rest of your life, and um, you're going you're gonna to have that with you forever. And so, the people that you're with are going to, during those four years, are going to be a part of your, you know, your future. So your, um, I guess, other business that you're in right now advises parents, I guess especially, on where to send athletes. You, you're addressing this issue right now. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's Sport Match, and um, I started that twelve years ago. Um, and when I got out of college coaching, I had a couple of friends ask me to help help them with their kids. They're basketball players, and I said sure. So I helped them pick camps. I called. I figured out. You know, I identified their playing level, and then I started. To helped them put together a target list of, of schools. And we also, you know, they gave me kind of the, the academic um, level and what they were looking for uh, as it relates to the academics. And so you put the two together, the athletic, the academic, and then you, and you know the realistic playing level, then you can build, much more easily build a target list of schools. Yeah. That makes sense. Sure. You can narrow it down from... To 300 Division One schools, you can narrow it down to about eight, you know, and then call those people and get in play. And so that's what I did. I, I called some friends of mine, contemporaries, guys that are college coaches. You know, I'd run around, recruited against these guys, coached against these guys, and I placed the two kids, and it went well. And so I started a business. The parents uh, really were the ones, and the coaches too, were thankful. Or appreciative of having me in the middle it helped them kind of facilitate and so I started a business uh, only basketball and now we've grown to we have all sports pretty much well wow. not all but probably yeah I guess nine or ten sports girls boys across soccer baseball basketball football um, had some great clients um, guys that are you know, like a, people that really don't need my contacts but they're also going through a really serious process with their kid and want to back up from it like a Jay Billis one yeah. of our clients and a great guy great friend of mine but it allowed him to just be a dad and he didn't have to call his contemporaries you know he knows all the coaches he doesn't need me for that um, but I was able to do it and then his son ended up going to Wake Forest and having a great, you know, great four years. He was a walk-on, but had a great four years. So yeah. when, when you see, let's talk about that briefly, though. When you see, a, in that situation, when you see an athlete that you know is not going to make it to the pros, I mean, are you advising them to go into a school that would give them a better network for their life? Is that what you're thinking, but not telling them? I mean, you, you can't, that's a tough conversation to have with a 16-year-old kid. Um, no, I, I definitely tell them that. I, and I say, look, it's really going to come down to what your heart says after you visit some schools and we'll put together a list together, you know, put together a list of schools. Um, the toughest part with a 16-year-old kid is getting them to face reality 
That's what I'm saying. Of where is that what you're asking? Yeah, I'm yeah, saying yeah. like they oh, they yeah. probably think they're the best oh, they want to play in dude. the world yeah, and yeah, they're going to go in. And that's yeah. got to be, was it less than one tenth of a percent? Yeah, you know through? what I typically do on that is I ask them to keep their mind open. We don't know where this is going to go. If you want to play in North Carolina, go for it. But we're going to put you in the camps and we're going to put you in front of the coaches and then they're going to be the ones that make the decision, not me. You know, so I don't, I try to be careful about boxing kids in. I want yeah. them going for it. You know, I want them, I really do want them to, you know, really go for it and work hard and have goals and make them the top goals. Why not? You know? Sure. And then, um, the process will, will work that out. You know, we, we I ask because we do a lot of work with golfers. You know, golf's been a big part of my life, and <clears throat> I played as much many events as I could. And I still have lots of kids that are, you know, I'll still play in amateur qualifiers. I played in USAM qualifier this year, and I mean, a lot of these kids are 15, 16, 17. Anybody with a two handicap can, you know, try to play in the US Open, you just got to go qualify. Um, and you know, like they'll ask you sometimes, like, what do you, what do you think? I'm like, you're great, but. You know, you're never going to make it. And so, I mean, I don't quite say it that way, but you have to sort of say, hey, you're an amazing player, but you better have an education and a backup and some other options because... That's it right there. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So so that's what I try to... I tell them, I say, look, man, you, you're not going to... Even if you were to be in the top whatever percent, below 1% and go professional, you're not going to play that long anyway. So you've got to... You've got to Now's the time to capitalize and get yourself in a position because you are an athlete. You're a good athlete. You can play somewhere in college. I mean, the kids that we're working with yeah, are, are good enough to play somewhere. You know, it might be D3, but they're good enough to play somewhere. So let's, you know, if we can get the coach to, um, you know, support us in admissions, and now we might get into, let's just say, a Washington and Lee, which is a really hard school to get into at the D3 level. If we can get into that school instead of another school that might be a little lower, um, then the coach and that athletic gift gets us to a place now where with, you know, some pretty pretty smart people. Right. You know, and now you're playing a sport in addition to that. So you, not only are you with a network that's strong and some smart people that are gonna go out and have great jobs and have influence and all that stuff, um, you're also an athlete, which people like that, I think, that are hiring, you know, CEOs on Wall Street yeah. and law firms. I mean, they, they know that you have a work ethic. They know that you understand what leadership is, you know, what being on a team is, communication. You have to do all those things. There's so many metaphors in sports for life. So now you've got both. So that's what you, um, that's what we advise our our guys and girls to to be looking for yeah. when they're looking for a college. So on this this podcast is called On the Rocks, and part of what we you know discuss in all of our interviews and chats is the, like the challenges that people have faced, and you've got a unique experience with a lot of very very wealthy successful professional athletes. Was there a constant theme of things that really you know took them from their sport, or maybe? Maybe it was financial management. Maybe it was you know their personal life. But you know I don't. I see so many athletes that were paid fifty million dollars that are broke today. Or um, and I just wonder. You know people see these checks and like there that's it. It's done. They're never going to have a problem in their yeah, life again. Yeah. And 
I, I, I don't know what it is about maybe it's maybe you don't get an education very long in college and you don't get experience and you don't get the management but it seems to me that there's a theme somewhere in professional sports and some people get it and do the right thing and most don't yeah absolutely and I had a conversation with my daughter she's a junior at Chapel Hill just a student but we had a she asked me it's a career question you know and I'm just thinking back I was like man I never called my dad and asked him about the career or you know managing money or any of that stuff but um, yeah so a lot of these athletes um, one of the first things that that I look for when I'm doing background work on prospects that we're looking at for the Utah Jazz is are they professionals you know and what are their surroundings like who do they have around them um, it's really really important so I think at the pro level and their habits their habits are huge I mean people people see the, the news reports and they they draw this perception sometimes that these guys are babies and this that and the other but I mean they are hard-working guys and, yeah. they, and if someone will take their position then they know that I mean someone will take their spot in a heartbeat they can be out so quickly so these guys are you know they, they know they have to take care of their bodies they know they have to get home at night and get in bed and they I think are doing a better job of, of handling their money but not all the time I mean it's a very important time for them because they're earning their big earning time is right now. You know, right. It's their, they have a few years of it. And then, you know, a lot of them don't, aren't prepared really for life after the sport because, you know, they haven't, they've been spending so, they've spent so much time on the basketball and football. Um, so, yeah, that that's one, but really just habits, you know, yeah. just like any, any profession, I think it's just habits, you know, who you have around you in your circle. Of people that are your support group, um, and, and, and and the passion for it, like you always hear about Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, those guys are the LeBron. I mean, Larry Bird, those are the guys that are staying after practice and shoot three hundred more shots. You know, they're coming in at six in the morning. These guys are driven. Yeah, you know, they didn't just get there by accident. I mean, they're talented, obviously, but um, they they're 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 huge competitors and they. They are not going to lose. When I started in money management, this was 1987. Uh, I worked at Morgan Stanley in DC, and the ratio was that 97% of the broke stockbrokers, advisors, whatever you want to call us, failed out within the first 10 years. So I was like, okay, there's 100 people in this class right now, so I've got to do what every whatever 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 everybody else is doing. I got to do the opposite of it, or more what I think is important. And yeah. it mattered. I mean, like I would come in and stay on Saturdays and cold call and do things, and nobody would be in the office, and I would find things to do to try to just build a client base. But yeah, you know, but the flip side of that is, if you're that that remaining few percent, all those clients that were accumulated by the people that quit. They're gravitate to yeah. Yeah. gravitate to whoever's left, right, um, right. and that's why. But it was like the first, it was such a hard first two to three years. You know, you basically gotta eat nothing and try to make it to to where you can make enough revenue to live off of. But but um, it sounds like the same traits of any profession, I guess. That's yeah, successful. it is. It is, and it's just. Uh, it, but it's very. I mean, it, um, yeah. I'll say this: uh, I, when I got into coaching, it was that way. It's round the clock. I mean, weekends. We were up early in the morning. 
but the guys that, that rose to the top were the guys that were we hear these stories about Kobe Bryant like after a game he would come back to the gym you know and shoot you know come in the next morning early at six in the morning I mean he was constantly you know working on his game and there was just drive to win yeah and I think that's true in any industry you have some people that are elite that way so if you've got for the folks that have got young children that are had maybe athletes heading off to high school or college um, that are listening to this podcast, uh, uh, what's your advice to some to, to, for them to pass on to their young adults as to far as athletics and academics and how to manage yourself? You talk about habits. You talk about work ethic. Um, what do you I mean? If you could tell a parent, you know, here's the things that I would, I would, I would here's three things I would suggest you install in your children. What would they be? Uh, I, I think one is uh, be analytical, you know, like, um, and I feel like I wasn't this way enough, you know, coming up. I was very on one track, you know, basketball. That's kind of how yeah. I started this talk. Um, you know, and really I started later in life looking around at other things, you know, and really analyzing uh, life more. And, um, you know, I think sometimes... I always tell people like, you know, we pick colleges maybe back then, whenever that was, um, you know, because someone recruited me in basketball or, uh, you know, your girlfriend is going to a certain school, so you go, or your dad went to a certain school, or your mom, so you go to that state school, and you're just kind of following, and, you, and there's so much more out there that you don't really take a look at and you just kind of follow the train. Yeah. You know, and so I just think really open your eyes and look around and the world is so much more accessible now. I mean, it's global. Yeah. You know, um, we know more about everything. You have people moving to different parts of the country where it used to be the Southerners were here, the Northerners are there, the Western people, you know. Now it's more mixed, which is great. And so... Um, I just think be more analytical and open your mind to to different opportunities and different things that are out there and um, you know, start to get into it that way. Well, you've certainly had a world of experiences and it sounds like uh, sounds like the best thing you could do for, you know, if you're a parent of a young adult that is looking to go in that direction is give them as many experiences as possible. See yeah, absolutely. And that's what I've got a daughter and like I said, and I'm, so that's one thing I tell her is I'm always challenging her, like go go do something this summer. Don't just, you can come to Charleston anytime, you know, but yeah. like, let's go get out there and go um, and try different things. You want me to help you get an inter- internship or, you know, let's, let's try to get you some experience in different, different industries and see, you know, so I just think, uh, you know, people really open their mind. And then I, the other thing I would say is believe in yourself. You know, I mean, Fair enough, right? you know, uh, one of the, the, the most powerful people in your life are the ones that told you you could do it, really. I mean, if we all probably have someone like that or people like that uh, in our lives. So I, that would be the other one. It's just, I always tell kids, man, because they're, you know, when I get on the phone with them, uh, they see me as some NBA guy or whatever, but I'm really just, I'm like them. I came up, you know, I'm not uh, in some huge position or anything like that in the NBA, but I just, uh, I always tell them, I'm like, look, man, one thing, just, you can do it. Like, you got yeah. it. Like, just believe in yourself and go for it. And, um, 
you know, you're going to be all right either way. Well, you've certainly done all right for yourself. And if everybody that hears this can, can learn the lesson of, uh, hey, you can do it, that coming from somebody as successful as yourself, uh, I think we'll all win on this podcast. So thanks for taking the time today. We, we've learned a lot. So yeah. I appreciate you sitting in with us. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.